Hello, and welcome to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. And before I move on to today's podcast, I do want to do a little bit of ads. Um, Please bear with me. I'm I'm not a huge, huge fan of doing ads for uh, products on this podcast specifically, but... um, you know, I, I am a fan of trying to bring in a little bit of scratch to help offset some of the costs. So please do bear with me. And and if you would, please, please go to audible.com and use the forward slash sobriety uh, uh, tag. And you can get a 30-day free trial plus a free audiobook download if you go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash sobriety and we will get a little bit um, uh, off the back end there and and if you have already done that in the past or you've used the audible free trial from other um, uh, trial codes it's been a year you can redo it and so you can cancel and redo once a year from my understanding so please do that and use the slash sobriety podcast to get us a little bit of uh, a little bit of money off the back end like i've already said three times um and another uh affiliate we have is with the online therapy.com website online-therapy.com it's a dedicated online based team of consultant therapists Cognitive behavioral therapists, practitioners, and support staff that collaboratively work to help people in need of emotional support. So if you go to online-therapy.com and use the eavesdrop code, you'll get 20% off uh, your first, I believe, your first session. And again, eavesdrop will get a little bit off the back end, and that would help... uh, ease the burden of producing all of these fantastic podcasts that you're enjoying, including today's podcast. Uh, Today is a conversation episode of the Fun and Sobriety podcast. Um, It's been, it's the first conversation I've had in a while, a few weeks and, um, or maybe even months. And uh, uh, astute listeners, regular listeners might notice that I'm a little up in my head, a little distracted at the yeah, throughout some of this, the beginning of this, if not the whole freaking podcast conversation, uh, you know, partly because I just have been out of the rhythm and partly because this was the first, this was an attempt to record in a way that I hadn't done before through uh, using a you know software program to talk to someone on the phone and I was up in my head about <sighs> concerns that it wasn't recording because, you know, I've had technical problems in the past and I didn't want to lose this one because this is a conversation with somebody um, who uh, I was excited to talk to. Um, part of what made me reach out to this person was I, you know, I mean, I want I want to get as many varying um, experiences and backgrounds and 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 conversations with people with with multiple, uh, you know, with with different backgrounds from what what I have. Um, and I, you know, in thinking about that over the last few weeks, it occurred to me that it would be interesting or, or hopefully interesting to speak to members of uh, sober members of the uh, LGBTQ community. And uh, so I, I, you know, thought of the person with whom I'm having a conversation here, uh, Dwayne Q. And um, because um, I was aware of their work um, setting up the allies allies linked allies linked for the prevention of hiv and aids alpha non 
nonprofit uh, community here in Boise. Um, and through, you know, my experiences being around them in, you know, my early years of recovery, uh, I was aware of some of their story. And, you know, so I'm always looking for people with strong recovery stories to share their experiences. So I reached out to Dwayne and, and this was a conversation and, and I guess I'm, I'm still up in my head about it a little bit. Cause after the fact, when I asked them for, you know, input on anything special they wanted me to say or, or bring up beforehand in this intro, um, you know, the only thing they specified was, um, that they prefer the, the she, her pronouns. Um, and that's, you know, that's terrific for them. And, you know, thinking back on the conversation, it was pretty obvious uh, from what, what we talked about early into the conversation that that would, that would make sense. And so I felt kind of like a lunkhead that they had to say that to me specifically. And of course, my self-consciousness convinced myself immediately that they were, they were bringing that up because I had um, fumbled, fucked my way through the podcast multiple times, calling them um, you know, he, or maybe even using the term gentleman, because that's just my lexicon, a form of respect, which would be the absolute opposite of respect if you don't identify as a person of the masculine gender. So, of course, I'm up in my head about it. And, and also, of course, I haven't taken the time to go back and listen to the whole thing and find out just how fu- much I fucked up at it. So this is a pre-listening. Uh, if I fucked that up in there, I apologize directly to you, Dwayne, and anyone out there who may be offended by it. But... um. I think, you know, it doesn't come from a place of malice. It comes from a space of, uh, I won't even say, I won't even say ignorance. It's more of, I'm just out of my mind thinking about other things all the time. So that is my big issue presently is being present. Uh, anyway, all that is to say, I really, really appreciated Dwayne sitting down with me. And this is a terrific conversation and I... I really hope everyone enjoys it. I'm, again, up in my head about it because, like I said, I was distracted by being concerned about the recording and not having done conversations in a while, so I was just blah, 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 always running in my head. And and I feel that what Dwayne shared is a a beautiful story and beautiful (sighs) recovery story. And and, um, I hope that you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, please just enjoy this conversation that I had with Dwayne Q. God damn it. <laughs> so let's just start here. Um, I'm I'm talking with uh, my uh, acquaintance, Dwayne Q, um, and I will leave it up to you to introduce yourself. And if you want to break your anonymity beyond that, that's up to you. But, um, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself, please, Dwayne. Hi, my name's Dwayne Q. Okay, perfect. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I'm talking to you. I'm in Boise and you are in San Francisco, correct? I am. I am in San Francisco now. Okay. And, and okay, so... I, when, when, when did you move away from here? Oh, cause we met in Boise, right? Yeah. Yeah. We first met in Boise, yeah. um, which would have been a few years ago now. Cause I moved to, I moved away from Idaho when I was 33, which would, was in like 2012 ish. Okay. 
Oh, really? It's uh, been that long. Okay. I think it was 2012, yeah, ish, that I left. Um, and I moved out to Chicago. And I was in Chicago for about six years. And then I've been here in San Francisco for almost three. And what, what took you to Chicago and what took you to San Francisco? Well, so Chicago was not Idaho. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, simple enough. <laughs> just in the sense that like I had, um, you know, I grew up in a small town in Idaho and then Boise was kind of like the big city. Um, but I had run, I'd been running a nonprofit um, organization that I had founded right. when I was young and um, had been running it for nine years um, or so. And things were going really well with it. But for me personally, I was really struggling with like just kind of my identity. I was around three years sober at that time. In 2012 and, or when you founded the, yeah, the nonprofit? Yeah, my sober date is May. Um, <laughs> Where's my head? May because th- May thirteenth, th- so May tenth, uh, two thousand eight is my sober date. Okay. Um, the reason why I get confused is because May thirteenth is the date of my HIV diagnosis, oh. um, and so they're both like fairly close. So my HIV diagnosis was in ninety nine, so it was a lot further away. It was in um, oh in ninety nine. Okay, okay. So it wasn't it was it wasn't within three days of of getting sober. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Um. Yeah. So I had just kind of like it was time for me to kind of leave that position. Um. And that position for me, I really f- like it put me in a lot of spaces, and I met a lot of people, and I just didn't know where I could go next. Sure. In um, Boise. And and do you mind Boise. like do you mind giving more detail on the, on the nonprofit? I mean, I know what it is. And yeah. Yeah. Um, it was alpha allies linked for the prevention of HIV needs. Um, and I had started it, um, with a group of my friends when I was, um, 24. Okay. Um, and that was just after a few years of living with HIV and, and you were really, you were in Boise when that, when all of, when you were diagnosed or, um, no, um, I grew up in a little town called Wendell, hmm. which is about a hundred miles from, um, Boise. Right. And when I graduated high school, I had moved out to Phoenix, Arizona okay. and in Arizona is where I say I got gay, I got AIDS <laughs> and a meth problem. All, all within <laughs> is not how quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not <laughs> kind of in that order, but not all at once. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so like I had moved out to Arizona. I went to school to be an actor, no, an actor, a model, an architect, and a preacher. Ooh, that's very, very ambitious. You want to do all four of those? Yeah. They, it, of course, they all were like little bits and like pieces, <laughs> like a few months of this, a few months of that. I was young. I was trying to figure out sure. what it was that I wanted to do. Well, and this is, um, th- th- that leads, I mean, this is, I was hoping that it would be, uh, organic like this to lead into this. Cause I, I do want to know, you know, I, I want to hear more about like your upbringing and, and, you know, this is a recovery yeah. podcast. So I would like to get to that, but I want to, I want to hear your experiences growing up in, in uh, small town, Idaho. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I how, how, how was that? I, I'm going to guess that some of your story involves being uncomfortable with your, 
your identity, your sexuality, even in a small yeah. town. And, you know, how, how does that play into your, your uh, drunkalog for lack of a better word? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in that small town. Um, Were you born there? I, I was born in Jerome, Idaho, which Jerome, is like 10 okay. miles from sure. there, just because there's a hospital in Wendell. Got it. Um, but, but I lived in Wendell pretty much, you know, from when I, well, I lived in the city of Wendell my whole life until I was 18 and moved away. Oh my. Um, and pretty much lived on the same corner huh. um, most of the time that I lived there. In my time span on that corner, my grandparents had lived on the corner with us in their trailer. And then in the trailer next to us was my aunt and her family. Eventually, my grandparents left, took their trailer, and they moved out in the country. And then we took another trailer. We took two trailers, and we ripped them in half. And we stuck them together and created our own little double-wide one summer. And, so wait, so when you say corner, you just mean like it's a kind of a relatively like rural, undeveloped area that just kind of has the intersection of two streets? Is we that- were we were in the town um we were <laughs> so but it was still like we basically had like the corner of the block okay um and <laughs> yeah eventually like um eventually we ended up putting down a foundation and building a prefab home okay um on the corner like i think i was probably like in middle school like like eighth or ninth grade, I think when that happened. And so this is you and just your folks. And, and I, I know yeah. you said the other family members yeah, with me. their. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me and my dad, my mom, and then my little brother, my okay. little brother was a couple years younger than myself. Okay. Um, yeah. And so was yeah, that, it was, was it, I ahead. mean, I mean, that sounds, I don't know, that can go many directions. So how, how, how do you, when you look back on that childhood, how, how does that feel for you? Um, I, at the time, at the time, I very much didn't want that for myself. I loved my family and I thought they were really like, I felt really grateful because even though we didn't really have a lot, we had what we needed. And I felt like my parents were really big on teaching like kindness and generosity. And were they, were they kind and generous to you? I mean, were that, was it a loving environment or or did it feel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah um yes um i for the most part i felt that i felt that way um i've been my childhood is actually honestly something like i i don't remember much of i don't remember much before the age of 12. um and my dad my dad used um drugs and alcohol and stuff until i was about that age so so you, oh, so you do you think okay so you don't you don't have clear memories of it is do you think it's like a black like you blocked it out or is it just nothing impactful? Yeah. yeah i don't know i mean i feel like that's probably part of it okay. um and when you say drugs uh, and alcohol like what what kind of drugs well my dad i didn't even know this at the time but he w- would drink he like he did like a little bit of crack and <laughs> crack like, crack like crack crack and oh. Okay. Like crank and like sure. acid and all that stuff, cocaine. Okay. And your um, mom, but your mom. My mom did nothing. Hmm. She didn't drink. She never did any sorts of drugs or anything like that. So, but, okay. But you said that he, he did that until you were about 12 and that's when you start to form like memories that, that hold on to. Into your more, mem- more of memories for okay. sure. Yeah. And, and so when did any of that, you know, when did, when did you 
I don't know, pick up or, or you know, what, 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 what was going on in young Dwayne's <laughs> mind, right. I guess. Well, I, I really had a hard time feeling like I, I fit in. Um, I, you know, I always wanted nicer things than what my family could provide. Okay. I did really well in school. Um, but I wasn't very socially cool. Um, but I was like social in church, which was cool for me, but my family were not church going folk. So wait, and then, so you went to church without your family? Yeah. Oh. I started church when I was really young and I was like a total Jesus freak. I loved it. <laughs> I saved people before I was saved. Like I, I really loved it. But you save like people what? You save people what did you I say? I saved people before I was even saved. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's you know. that's far out. Okay. <laughs> um and so and then my because my parents weren't my like in particular my dad wasn't about all of that. Sure. Um, <laughs> Being a c- crack user. <laughs> well, I think I think you know yeah, I mean he like I said like he quit a lot of that stuff Okay, and, sure like from 12 on, like he was, um, you know, he, you know, I, I truly believe that my parents did the best they could. And I could have definitely probably had a lot more challenging, um, upbringing. Um, they were really, um, they were really proud of me. They really felt like I had a lot of things going for me. And I think they really felt that I was going to be able to like leave that trailer, leave that town and go out in the world and do something sure. pretty great. Which, um, I mean, I, and I'd so say... they were really supportive on that, but they really didn't know how okay. to support me in that. Sure. Because it wasn't their experience, you know? I mean, but, but, but what did they do for, what did they do for work or, or for a living? Uh, my dad was kind of a jack of all trades. He did whatever work he could have. Sure. When he could. Um, Idaho, you know, the, he usually did like, construct he was like did construction or drilled wells or um he just did whatever he could do job wise um so some of the seasons were bad at times sure my mom my mom didn't start working and she never really had a job until i think i was maybe i was in high school before she was kind of really allowed to work Mm. (laughs) It, it wasn't part of our family kind of set up okay Um, sure sure yeah and what's your relationship with these with your parents now um they are lately it's been a little bit strained i've been a little bit distanced from them just because i've been kind of been sober for like almost 12 years now and through that process i've you know i feel like i've come to like uh, understand and become aware of my life kind of going backwards. Sure. So, like I got sober, like right around 30. And so like, I feel like I started look going back in my life backwards and kind of like recovering from all of that shit that happened in like my twenties and then my teens. And then I feel like now I've been kind of stuck in that like childhood stuff. And I've been, um, my gender has been something I've really been um, exploring. Okay. I, um, and I, my childhood, I wasn't really allowed um, to express myself in ways that 
were me. Um, and I'm kind of frustrated, I think, about where I'm at in my expression of self and gender. And I feel like my childhood really stunted that. Hmm. Um, was the initial stunting, I guess. And so I'm kind of caught in these weird feelings of like, uh, honestly, I don't know where I'm at with it all. Sure, I've sure, sure. I, I definitely didn't mean to put you on the spot with that. I, 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 I when have have you have you returned? Have you ever gone back to visit that block, oh, yeah. that my, corner? <laughs> my, oh yeah, no, totally. My family has been really supportive over the years. Okay. Like when I got diagnosed with HIV. And, you know, they were the first people I told and they supported me and they loved me. And when I told them I was gay, which was the same day, they were like <laughs> they were there for me. But okay. then it was kind of on and off because like a couple of years later, I got married to a man and uh -huh. like my mom was there, but my dad wasn't there. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, it's, and, it's mixed or, or, you know, not not perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just taken time. And sure. for the most part, they've been there. But for me, I just I think I'm just so different <laughs> than than what they know sure well um, what how how's your younger brother doing these days like how's how's your relationship with him um i'm really close with my little brother he lives oh. next door to my parents um huh. okay, on the and, same block <laughs> yeah on That's the same corner yeah wow. and um he has a wife and um five boys oh boy okay so yeah. he just he's living the dream the idaho dream the rural idaho no, or small, so, small yeah, idaho dream. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't like think like it just wasn't my like. It's sure. just not where I'm at in my life. I don't have any opinion on on their. The sure, way sure. No, I'm just life. being kind of teasing, but no, I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it, I mean, I think, I think some of the challenges, though, I think, like with anyone that you love, you like, you want more for them. Sure. And so I feel, I feel like they have a hard life. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and that's, you know, I guess that's just part of sure. town life, I guess. I don't know. So, okay. So when, when, okay. So if you're a, you're a young Jesus freak in a small town and you're, right. I'm assuming, are you a, a, a closeted at that point? Are you aware that I didn't you... even know? Okay. Like that's... I didn't even know I was like gay or queer. I didn't really have like, that wasn't really in my vocabulary, I guess. Were you, and were like, you... because I, I was in church. I was not like, I wasn't like sexually active. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. Anything like that. So it didn't really come up when I was 16 years old. I did end up like some guy like went down on me in a field and like, <laughs> like at church camp. <laughs> it was just down the road from the church though. Okay. And I, at that time, I just thought I, I thought something had possessed me huh. that wasn't like, I don't know. And it was just like, that's not going to happen again. Um, because, because then, your body responded very positively towards it. I'm, I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah. Like I'd never been, like I said, I'd never been sexual, never whatever. And then I saw this person and this guy and he saw me and then all next thing I know, I was willing to just kind of like follow him out to a field, you huh. know, like, just, and that was I your, was. that was your first sexual experience in any way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even like kissed anyone at that point interesting huh. um yeah so then, when when does the when does the drinking yeah the drinking and the drugging and all of that begin like uh like fast yeah. forward to all that get to get to the fun stuff <laughs> the fun stuff yeah i um 
the first time I got drunk was I was a toddler with my dad. What? Wait um, a minute. What? I don't remember that. I was like, through. I don't know. I was a toddler. I was like sure. three or four or something like that. Wait, why? Is this my like dad- a family story or something? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a family story. Like my, my, yeah. Like my dad, I went out with my dad for something, ended up drinking and then came home sick and was like drunk. Like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I just want to ask, so your dad fed you alcohol or you just got your hands on it as a three-year-old? I don't, I don't know. I okay. don't know. Okay. So, I, but, but you don't really remember that. So I'm going to guess that that doesn't really lead you towards really a count. path of <laughs> constant drinking. I don't think it's what opened the door. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, I, the first time I had a drink was like at a wedding, I think. When you were like 16, 17? Probably like, 15 okay maybe no i started getting beer a little bit when i was younger too my aunt would give me a beer while i was babysitting or something like that yeah but just none of that felt like anything more than just i don't know it's hard to say regular teenage response to alcohol yeah for the most part but when i was 16 i did um i did die of like a of a like a like i drank too much (laughs) And like they had to like, no, you, you don't get to just say that. What <laughs> <laughs> you, you died of an alcohol overdose? I, yeah, well, they had to like shock me and like sure. pump my stomach. What and, were the circumstances uh, surrounding this? Well, I was like, my so I had a cousin, he was cool, and I wasn't <laughs> okay. He, he was like a year older than me, uh-huh. and um, we decided like on a Thursday night or something we lied to our parents and said we were going to go out bowling. Okay. Um, and we, instead we got a fifth of black velvet. Oh God. Okay. Him and I and two girls hopped in a car and drove around out in the country <laughs> and drank black velvet. Oh, um, okay. And I went like, ham really quick. Like at some point they were like, I, I just thought it was hilarious. But, sure. Um, I was getting drunk. My cousin was getting drunk. They were telling me I was drunk and I was like, no, I wasn't. And so they decided to like um, pull over and they decided that we were going to race. So me and my cousin were going to race to see just how drunk I was. <laughs> right. And so I remember we went to, we went later like one, two, three run. And I ran before it was time to run. Uh-huh. And then, and then I had to go back to the line and then go to run again and by that time i was like like running just like ran that alcohol through my system or something but oh, okay and then it just knocked you point, down I couldn't, I couldn't pretend that i wasn't drunk at that point and so i remember getting into the car and hitting my head <laughs> on the like the, the top of the door when i went in and then the next thing i remember is being in the back of an ambulance oh really and, and i was like saying not kind things to this sure. to the poor people in the ambulance <laughs> um <laughs> and then you know getting taken to the hospital where then i got like yeah. and i was kind of coming in and out of consciousness and like they pumped my stomach and all that and from what i was told they they said that i was like they were like because i just blacked i just blacked out basically sure. and they said they said I was like we were riding around, and I would like I would like say stop, stop. I'm gonna puke. I'm gonna puke. And then they would stop, and then I wouldn't puke, and I would be like just joking or whatever. And so, at some point, at one point, they decided they got upset about me doing that, 
and they threw me in the trunk of the car. Oh God. Closed the, closed the hood and drove me into town. When they got into town, they opened up the trunk of the car and I had like thrown up all over myself. I was passed, kind of passed out. Oh. So then they started freaking out. Um, and so then my cousin like pulls me out and they like, he's like punching me in the face, trying to get me to come to, they're trying to like hose me down. I guess I fell on the shower and busted my mouth on the, like the oh, faucet. Lord. Um, so how long were, were like, you in the hospital after all that? Um, I feel like it was mostly just overnight and like, um, and then I was just hung over for a few days. Sure. And, um, and like, how did your family respond? How did your, your, your folks respond to that? Well, I, I, I felt really bad. Um, and they've, they, um, they were mad and they were disappointed in me, but they weren't like, this is kind of how my parents were like, I didn't get in trouble because I was drinking necessarily. Mm -hmm. I got in trouble because I lied about where I was at. No, I can appreciate that as, as a parent, I can, I can see the distinction there, especially with teenagers. I mean, I imagine there's special agony knowing how, how precarious you know how potentially close to death you'd gotten but i can appreciate being more upset about the lying than the experimenting right because right? that's that's what it can still be dismissed as at that point right yeah and the only reason i ended up in the hospital is because my cousins were carrying me up to their apartment and somebody called the police because they thought they were carrying like a dead body <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> like, like it probably saved my life because otherwise they probably would have just left me in the yeah in the house or i don't know huh. um so but okay, remember, but but clearly that wasn't the only time, right? Like you, that wasn't like lesson learned, and you you walked away from it. Um, right? I mean, it it was for a little bit. I worked, I worked because we were poor. I worked really hard that summer to pay off the bill, the medical bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, nobody would drink with me, so I didn't have that. <laughs> okay. I didn't have that problem. But that um, was like that was like your sophomore year, junior year of high school. Yeah, I was like sixteen. Yeah. <clears throat> And, um, and so then drinking and all that was never really a thing. I maybe had like something here or there, but I wasn't really a partier. Um, I was trying to do well in school and, you know, I wanted God to to like me. So I was trying to be a good kid. Okay. Um, And so, and then I'm, I'm, you said that you had gone to Phoenix to go to college. Did you get into college or did you just move down there and hope to get in? No, I moved down there. I started a tech school for architectural drafting and then halfway through that I decided I wanted to to uh to go to school to be a youth pastor um and in the meantime between both schools I got like hit up to start doing acting and modeling so I was kind of doing a little bit of playing with a little bit of that um but I was pretty like mellow I didn't really drink I didn't really really do much um i like, I just never really, I, my dad, I knew my dad did drugs and I felt like my dad had good reason for that, um, given his upbringing and his life. And okay. I just had never thought that I ever, as hard as life was, I still felt really blessed and grateful. And somehow I was just going to like do really well in life. And so I never really drank too much or did all that. But, um, when I, w- um, got diagnosed with HIV, I got infected with HIV when I was 19 um, oh, and really? I found, yeah. And I actually ended up like the night I, I got HIV, I had gotten drunk. So, so wait, how do you know? What, so t- tell me, I only had, I only had one opportunity that oh. I could have got HIV and I did. Oh, 
Okay. So um, this was a, was this a, a drug encounter or a sexual encounter? It was it was sex. It was like we we were drinking. I was drinking at a buddy's at a friend's house. Okay. A guy that I had met um, a little while before that, and he had like a barbecue. It was Labor Day weekend mm-hmm. at his house, and then ended up getting drunk, and then ended up having sex with him, and then okay. I got HIV. Um, so- I found out nine months later oh nine okay i was gonna say how, why did you even why did you check or why why did that um, happen it was like the first time i'd ever went and got tested either because i wasn't you know like i just wasn't sexually active really but i had just met a guy that i was kind of like into sure and he had found out that he had like um chlamydia or something like that sure, sure. Well, and at and that, us, yeah, and that's just the responsible thing to do, right? Is go go get yourself yes. checked out to see. So what I went and got it done, and the HIV, they were like, "Oh, do you want to get this done? It's free." Sure. I was like, "Sure, we're not." And then two weeks later, I found out I was HIV positive, and then my, and after that diagnosis, I pretty much chose. I was like, I can't take this. Like, right. I've I've fucked up my life. I'm not going to do any of those things that I thought I was going to do for me or my family, you know, right. the God shit, the family shit, like everything was just to crap. And I just couldn't, I couldn't cope with it. And I was like, okay, now I have like the reason to drink. Like an excuse to just let go. And exactly. Yep. Cause and that was 99 and, and you didn't, your sober date was 2008, you said. So you basically yeah. like nine more years of just debauchery. Is that how we can describe that Dwayne? Well, yeah, I mean, at first I went, like, I went right into it. Like, the first, the like, yeah, I mean, I did, like, I smoked pot and did ecstasy, like, all in this, like, those were, like, the first drugs I did in, like, okay. the first week of starting. I ended up, I, you know, did K and... Um, and again, to really clear, just, this was, like, after the diagnosis, you're just, like, fuck it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. They told me I needed to take six months um, to get my head together. And then, um, I needed to start treatment. So I took six months to get fucked up. And then at six, at, uh, at six, six months, I quit using everything and I started treatment. Um, oh, okay. and then treatment didn't work. And then as soon as treatment stopped and I was off of that, then I went back to using it again. And my use was always just kind of off and on kind of bingey. Um, are you talking I would like like drinking like or or drinking drugs oh, I see okay it was kind of a mixture of things um in the beginning um and I would just kind of like I don't know I just felt like I was just coping and managing with life and in a lot of ways I had a lot of fun I really feel like you know it gave me life when nothing else could okay like I really believe that it saved my life yeah I can um I can appreciate that and and so, you know, what, what what was going on leading up to 2008 to make you decide or, or realize or feel like you needed to get sober? Well, it's, you know, it was really weird because that, like, that, that day was Mother's Day that mm-hmm. I had decided not to, or I thought that maybe drinking might be something I shouldn't do anymore. Because why, though? <laughs> to get better results um I just woke up you know I'd like I, I had been like I'd slept with somebody who wasn't my boyfriend 
again the night before. <laughs> this was in I, where, where were you? It was in I it was in Idaho. Oh, okay. It was you know, and I was like it was day I wasn't with my mom and I had swore because I told my family that I was gay and HIV positive on Mother's Day in two thousand. Okay. And so I'd always swore that I would be there with my mom and just as kind of an amends before I even had that sort of language. Okay. Um and that morning I just I was hung over. I had cheated on my boyfriend again. And this was already after I had a failed marriage because I had been married for till I was tw- from 24 to 27. Okay. And then I left him and then I got into another um, relationship and I was still doing the same shitty stuff. Sure. And, um, and Which- I was running, I was running alpha at that time and alpha was doing really well. Like it was just blowing up and it was just so much bigger than me. Okay. And I had just, I had just really felt like because it was bigger than me that I had to really like get my shit figured out. I see. So, okay. Cause you got sober in 2000. When did you start alpha? In 2003. 2003. Oh, okay. Okay. So you'd been doing that yeah. for, you know, a number of years for at that point. Years. Yeah. So obviously it wasn't your, your, your drinking and you know partying or whatever wasn't causing that to go sideways i guess no i mean at that point i was only drinking because it was more socially acceptable like i quit doing drugs so like kind of back a little further like i like i did meth for a little while okay after i had gotten i had gotten gang raped um one night um you keep sliding things in there that are pretty big (laughs) Well, that's what, like, again, it was just like, okay, that happened. Now I can't deal with this. So I did meth. I see. So then I did meth for like six months straight every day. And this was, when did that, when did that game, when did that happen? So. In proximity to your, your diagnosis, I guess. It probably would have been in like 2000, like a year or two. Later. Later. Okay. So you were still a little dis. I mean, I'm assuming after that diagnosis, you were pretty distraught, and like you said, you're just in a fuck it mode. So yeah, I mean, I expected I was going to die. I had sure. a really hard time with treatment and medication. Right. Um. Yeah, because this was like before I even started Alpha. Right. Um. And so, yeah, and then the meth, the meth habit, the meth thing happened for like six months straight. I worked three shifts at a job every day, and I just. Like, I remember just after six months, just being tired right? and just like crying and just be like, okay, I'm done. Um, and then, and that time I had ended up back in Arizona again, because I had to go back home for treatment and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, okay. 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 I, um, so I had quit meth like many years before I actually got sober. Like sure. I would say like five years before I actually got sober. How long I were had you using quit- it? I used it straight every day for six months. Okay. For just six months. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Just, but it was like, it was a lot because like, it sounds like a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Well, it was crazy because, but I didn't really think of it as like a problem. I was just like, I don't think I should do this anymore. Sure. And like, I remember talking with my mom and my mom was like, I said, I said, mom, so I've been doing math. I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) And she's just like, oh my God. She's like, come home. Yeah, no shit. I was like, no, I I don't need to come home. I just need to like, I just need to do this for myself. And then my mom was like, well, 
but if you're there, I can't give you a hug. Right. And so I moved back home and I lived in a little camp trailer. Right. Um, and got off of meth. Sure. And went through like all the emotions of the, of the rape and then like just life and coming off meth. I remember telling my mom that I wished I would just die, Sure, which is a horrible thing to say to your mother. No, but that, I, that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that you said that to her. So um. I did. And then I just didn't do, I just, I had done crank a couple times after that. Right. And then I met my, the guy that who eventually became my husband and he was very anti-drug. Okay. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then that's when my drinking really sure. kind of took And then right around like in the same time frame, it sounds like you you started Alpha and Yeah, I started Alpha right after I quit meth okay. and all of that. And and again, say say a little bit about Alpha. I mean I mean I'm assuming part of your motivation or inspiration was because of your own diagnosis, but what what were you you know, what, what, what were you trying to achieve? Yeah. I mean, really for me, it was just, you know, I had, I had been raised and brought up in a way that I really thought, I really believed that God and had created me to make a mark on this earth. Okay. And becoming a faggot with AIDS was not part of that. Okay. <laughs> and like <laughs> in the beginning one, like I needed to try to find some way to validate my existence so that when I died, my life could have mattered. Okay. But also like what had happened before that I had started going and speaking at schools and sharing my story, living with HIV with young people. Okay. And I started doing that. And through that, I healed like, by sharing my experience, strength, my experience with HIV. It built my strength and hope. Um, it was really weird. Cause like once I got into 12 step recovery, it made, I felt like I had already learned that sharing my experience, strength and hope, helped me and it helped others. Right. And so like through that process of sharing my story with HIV in the hopes of helping others, there was no place to really do that more of. And there was not an organization. There was, there just wasn't a place for people to volunteer. There wasn't a place for people to do shit. And so I just decided that I had been dreaming about what it would look like or what, what it, you know, what, I guess, what did I need or what would people like me need right. or what would my family do well to have for them to, in dealing with this? And so then I pitched the idea to the Idaho Women's Network. Sure. Um, and then they said they would help me and they kind of trained me and coached me. And then YFFN, your friends and family network was another organization. They became a physical sponsor so that we could start. We basically opened their our doors above the fly and coffee house. Sure. Um, and we were all volunteer run and we were really small. And eventually we started doing testing and counseling and That's... providing supportive services for people with HIV. And it's, and it's still going now, even after you've moved, right? It, it is. Yeah. Um, now they're like, you know, they do STD screenings and treatments sure. and hep C stuff okay. and prep to prevent HIV transmission and like, all kinds of stuff and it's more medical sized and it's still, I think it still has that, like that feel, that homey feel, but it's, but it is more medicalized, but that's just the way, you know, HIV is dealt with anymore. That's, I mean, so I, it kind of does sound like you made the, made a mark. I mean, that's, 
I, you know, it, it kind of, you know, in the beginning it was, I think I was a little like motivated just to try to like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also what kind of caused me to like get sober okay. is because I was like, Oh my God, this is so much bigger than you. Like you're going to, you're going to do something to really fuck this all up. Huh. Okay. You know, and it, and it was just a kind of a combination of things where I was just like, I don't like, person running an organization who's doing things like this should not be acting like you're acting okay <laughs> and and I was also just kind of tired of like finding myself in the same spot with the same feelings regretting what I did when I because I wasn't I didn't drink daily I didn't you know like I just sometimes I binged I see and well and like you said you woke up Mother's Day 2008 and realized fuck and toward the end of my drinking, I was like, I would like, sometimes I would have a couple drinks and I would black out or other times I would drink 20 drinks and, and not. Sure. And so it just got to be really erratic. And I had a boyfriend who punched me in the face. And then after that happened, I started to get more kind of violent, not like toward people, sure. but like I would, I don't know, kick a bush or sure. hit a bus stop or like, and, and that just was not my nature Sure. to be violent in any way and it just kind of scared me it just kind of got to a point and then like pot had kind of snuck in and i hated pot sure. and, like I, it just kind of felt like things were really starting to like maybe gonna get really bad sure. and i honestly i didn't even think about think i had a problem until somebody said do you think you might have a problem with drinking and i was like i was like that's it like that's why i'm an asshole <laughs> <laughs> was this someone in the like, program or was this just some someone who like actually, witnessed you kick guy, kick a bush? <laughs> the guy ended up being my sponsor. Oh, far out. Okay. Um, okay. But I didn't necessarily know anything about AA or I knew I mean sure. I loved dear I had a lot of dear friends who I worked with at Alpha who volunteered with me who were some of my most favorite people in the world. Right. Um but I never really thought I had a problem and initially I don't even think I still had a problem. I just thought like I am. I do dickish things because I'm drinking, sure. drinking and I just need to quit drinking. And so then I started, like, I, I always been an overachiever. So I asked him <laughs> to be my sponsor and like, I did 90 meetings in 90 days and I did like the 12 steps in like, I think my first year Sure. and like, I just really like, you I really in. hit it because I was really desperate. Sure. Well, so it was one of the hardest years of my life though. Say that again. It was one of the hardest years of my life getting sober. Was it? Well, yeah, because it was like, I, you know, the longer I stayed away from the the drink, the the more I started to come to what my life had become and who I had become, and hmm. so many of my lines that I had drawn were gone, hmm. and like, I I couldn't, um, I honestly, I almost couldn't handle the truth. I, yeah, I can appreciate where you're, what you're getting at. I mean, I, I mean, you you've you've peppered in a couple of pretty traumatic events, and I I don't know how many more traumatic stuff was in the that interim eight years there, but I can imagine you know you, you've removed your coping mechanism, right? And yeah, I actually had to like sit in my right my pain a little bit, and luckily, you know. Like I had the rooms and I had people in the program, so I didn't have to do it alone. So because the thing of it was is, and I think still the thing that I have to do today is I have to be like, I have to 
deal with like I have to feel the pain sure. and I have to go through it and I, I just I needed to know that I was you know there was a time in my life when I wasn't ready and I wasn't okay and to feel the pain would have killed me sure. um, so we're create an opportunity for me to begin to to feel some of that stuff but then also what it did by you know finding my way into like 12-step recovery it also gave me a community of people who were trying to do the same thing right because i did not want to be there and half of the shit that people were talking about like god and all that shit i was just like i don't want any of this sure. i don't care for a lot of like i don't there was a part of me that still struggled with like feeling like i needed like needed it though i was there all the time because Sure. I don't know. It was just like I went to midnight meetings at the Little Red House. Sure. Like, yeah, I was just, I was lot. just visualizing when I when I did meet you. I think it, it must have been at the ten o'clock meetings that where we ran into each other the first time. Be Probably. My guess. <clears throat> yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, eventually too. I mean, I think I saw you. I mean, because I would have ran into you like after I <clears throat> was a few years in the program, mm -hmm. or at least like three years, I guess, second sure. or third year. I think by then, you know, like. I'm sorry, I can't stay well at midnight meetings. Yeah, or even ten o'clock meetings. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was I not to happy to be at the ten o'clock for sure, but that's <laughs> that was where I had to go at the time. <laughs> I mean, at the t when I needed to, it was great and it yeah. was perfect. But eventually, I just needed to go yeah. to other rooms in order to really get what I needed. <laughs> sure. And it was a little hard being queer, and like being in Idaho and getting sober. Well, okay. You know, I, I, I I wanted to hear some of that. Like what. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't know how glib that sounds, but I mean, what what was that like? I mean, it was a lot better than I thought. Okay, like I expected people to be much worse than they were. Um, worse as most in like people. dismissive um, or or mean. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I really expected sure. people to be, but. I didn't expect they would be okay with someone like myself in the rooms, but you know, I had a really hard, I had to go to the non gay rooms because that's where there was more sobriety oh. and more time. And it was easier for me to not feel like I had to be somebody um, because our community is so small and I was like kind of known and oh. I had a really for myself, at least in my own mind, I had a really hard time separating myself from that and so it was easier for me to go into a room in which I was nobody huh. um and I could be real I could say what I needed to say you know like sure there was a part when in sobriety where I felt like I remember I had a moment where I was like if I don't get this I'm going to kill myself hmm. and it was the first time in my life I'd ever even like thought that there were plenty of times that I wished I was dead sure but to actually think like if I don't get this, I'm going to kill myself. It scared the shit out of me. Sure. But I went to the Little Red House, you know, on, I don't even remember Merle. what meeting it was, but yeah, okay. I think it was a morning meeting. Sure. And I was able to just share, boom, this is what I said. It freaked me out. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't go to the gay meeting to do that. You didn't so, feel like you could at least? I For me, I, I didn't. Sure. Um, but that's just, you know, my sure. experience with it. But I think the rooms really are a fairly neutral space. I mean, I feel like it is a mixture of people that normally wouldn't hang out. And like for me, I remember like, because 
like the Lord's Prayer yeah. is something said <laughs> out of a lot of the meetings. And yeah. I had such a resentment because, you know, I'm a fag and blah, 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 and God and all that <laughs> shit, right? And, but like, it was something that was said. And like, I remember eventually being like, you know what, this is not about, this is not about the prayer. It's not about the words of the prayer. It's about the fact that we're all like, we're all here in this room just trying to be like okay yeah and like i was connecting more with the the fact of that we're all here sure versus what we were saying or what we were doing it was just like we're just fucking trying yeah 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 i i and so it kind of changed my experience with it with the prayer or, or with the whole program with the, with the prayer yeah. with the prayer in particular and now i'm like you know now i'm like you know i'm like a queer chaplain i do spiritual work and... <laughs> well this is perfect because i was going to ask about your spirituality so i mean that's one of the common things i try to ask anybody i sit down to talk yeah. with here is is you know what what what's your spirituality like today compared to when you first got sober it's you know it's beautiful and it's you think it's like my childhood i had a belief in god and mm -hmm. um i had a belief in god but in program i became i began to have a reliance on god Hmm. reliance on a higher power that I didn't call God for a really long time. And now I can say God and that's fine. Sure. Um, but I feel like I've come to rely on a higher power. I've come to believe that my higher power is not out to get me hmm. or that the world isn't out to get me. And that actually maybe it's like, could actually help me and be looking out for me. Um, like really come to understand the God that I guess I thought I knew as a child, but actually come to really, I don't know, experience something different with that. So like, like feel and, in your bones. And I feel like the more I, uh, the more I draw toward a higher power, the like, or God, the queerer I become. Interesting. And for, for me, I say that is because I've just had to repress and hide so much of myself for so long to survive or to be okay, or to feel like I had to, that, um, you know, getting sober has caused me to, I fucking left Idaho. Sure. You know? And I didn't end up coming back damaged. You know, I actually went to Chicago and I survived and I moved to San Francisco and I survived, you know, and like, I, you know, I'm a drag queen now. Like I never <laughs> like that. That's like, it's just, I've done so many like amazing things sober that I never would have. Yeah. You have a remarkable story. <laughs> I had no idea when I reached out to you. I just knew that you had started Alpha. That was all I knew. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. It's been a life. Yeah. So you, okay. So you, 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 you just said that when you first um, got sober and, you, you know, started in the program and the higher power, you, you didn't, you didn't refer to as God. So what, yeah. what were, you know, when you first, you know, whatever, May 11th or when you've decided that you, you need to you need to make a change and you do come, you know, what was your experience with I mean, spirituality specifically, you know, walking I mean, in? You know, in the beginning, the thing that drew me was, you know, my sponsor was, was a fag who okay. talked about God <laughs> and he was sober. Okay. He had like 17 years of sobriety and he had a husband and he had a house and he had a job. And I'm like, Oh my God. And you're talking about God and it doesn't huh. like, I believe you. I believe you. So what did that mean to you? Did, did you walk in? I, I guess I just assumed you'd say you walked in with a, a, a chip on your shoulder, if not a full resentment. Towards. Yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't believe that I could exist 
as a queer person and a godly person or a spiritual okay. person. So that I was... didn't think that those two could 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 live together. Even though the truth is that was my experience. I am a spiritual person. Okay. I always have been, and that never changed. But somehow, somewhere, I believed that I couldn't be spiritual and also be queer. Hmm. Like those two things are like opposites. You can't. I feel like that's just kind of the general messaging we receive just not even trying. Right. Am I wrong about that? I I mean, no, it's true. And we all, and we all have that. Like if it's not queer, it's because I, I don't know, had sex before marriage or I like whatever, you know, there's all these sorts of things that we do in life. Maybe even our drug use or like whatever that somehow makes us think that we're not at least, you know, we're not worthy or eligible or can access some sort of, God or higher power concept. And so I was really in awe of how people who I didn't think would have God from my under, old understanding in their life. I, like, I believe that I, I always say, and most of the time still, I just like, I, I think it's my second thing is like, I just hope you all aren't full of shit. Right. Cause someday, to some days I'm just relying on the fact that you're having a better experience sober. <laughs> Sure. Then, you know, so it's like, I, I just hope to God I can have that too, or hope to whatever. Sure. Sure. So it sounds like, I mean, where did you meet the, the, the guy who turned out or became your sponsor out of the gate there? Like that seems pretty serendipitous. It's such a crazy background too, though, but it's a small community, but he, I had worked with him in previous years. Oh, um, through alpha. Uh, Cause this was, uh, this was. Yeah, so this, yeah, I think he had been involved with Alpha a little bit. Yeah, he might have been working for me, hmm. or at least volunteering. I know at one point he was working for me, but, um, which was interesting. <laughs> to have your sponsor. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but that's just like, that's just like the dynamics of like small town stuff, you know, sure. like my doctor, my HIV doctor was the president of the board and my case manager was like my boss and coworker. And like, those were just some of the sorts of things you have to give up when you're in certain roles and you're in a small town, you know, as as like I could go to a different clinic or things like that. So, um, in program, I guess there was a little bit of that too. I've learned not to do that though, because it did get crazy. (laughs) I can imagine. So, and so you said you're a, you're a, a a preacher now. Is that what you said? Well, I do. I, I a queer chaplain, chaplain is what I call. Okay, will call my work. And so, basically, my goal, like chaplaincy, is typically with people around death and dying, oh, like okay. in hospitals and army and things like that. And I feel like death and dying um, happens around identity as well. Okay. And so I feel really called to help people um invite some sort of spiritual context or lace their narrative with some sort of spiritual um experience to kind of help them get through whatever they're going through whether it's they're transitioning their gender or they're dealing with a diagnosis or they're getting sober or there's just something that's changing so drastically about themselves and inviting just inviting that spirituality and their spirit be a part of that that's, um, in whatever way that looks for them. That that sounds, so that sounds really beautiful. I mean, like that, that almost sounds like you're, you're, you're taking the, you know, 
the 12 step message to people who aren't necessarily in 12 steps. I mean, that's a kind of a loose. Way no, very to... much, huh. very much because, and, and basically, you know, it's like, and part of my drive is that like one is honestly, I still sometimes don't feel like I'm, you know, worthy or have mm. access to a higher power mm. that, you know, is sufficient, so to speak. But a lot of the times it's about like, I, there were plenty of my times when it, in my life, when it was much worse, Okay. you sure. know, sure. Um, when I didn't have one at all. Now I just might not understand it always or whatever, but at least I have like a belief and an understanding and I believe I have access to it, you know? Sure. So I think and it's just trying to help people be a little bit more integrated and a little bit more whole. Um, and, and that's in your, you're working at another nonprofit in San Francisco now, right? Yeah. Right now I'm working in, um, ass cancer research. Asses in, uh, as in the hiney. <laughs> yes. Anal cancer research. Anal cancer. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So my job is to work with elderly LGBTQ folks, uh, and people living with HIV cause they are, have the highest rates of anal cancer. Oh, okay. Um, because it's caused by the human papillomavirus, the same thing that causes like cervical cancer and that with people with vaginas. Um, mm. So with, with the ass, there's that. And a lot of people were just dying from AIDS for so long, right. but now they're living. And so now they're living long enough to get anal cancer. Got and it. so we're doing uh, work to try to figure out the best ways to screen and when to treat and all that sort of stuff. Um, huh. That's what I do for my day job. But right. then I also do like, like I'm working on a drag and spirituality series where I interview drag queens um, on camera and in group settings, and we talk about their spirituality. I love um, that because I feel like drag culture is really getting consumed a lot by mainstream. Oh, for sure, it but is. I feel like, but I don't. I don't feel like there's a lot of depth to it, and so I want people to see that there's more to us than just and I also I have always believed like I believe that drag queens are kind of like for the queer community are spiritual leaders you know they lifted they lift they lift us they they entertain us they raise money to take care of us they huh. are representatives of us they are break you know they're they're like put themselves out in the world in a very visible way um holy shit I've never I I've never spent time thinking about it I guess but that's really interesting I, I that's a completely unique or new i guess not not unique but a, a novel way of looking at it and i don't think most people would probably like see it that way and i think a lot of drag queens might not even see it that way and so i just think there's power in but yeah that's a beautiful way to put it though i mean i do in follow claiming. what you're saying hmm. yeah so so what i've been doing is i've interviewed these queens one to help them lace their narrative with mm -hmm. some sort of spiritual context i've interviewed drag queens who they do spiritual work during the day, but then they're like a drag queen at night. Sure. But the two never really like existed together. Um, and so part of it, that again, is just kind of trying to integrate. And there's a lot of different gender dynamics with drag queens and performers sure. and sexuality and naming yourself, like choosing a name. And, you know, there's like some really rich things to talk about um, when it comes to just like, the process of drag and what it does for the people who do it and the people who watch it sure are present that's really interesting i uh i did not expect to have i didn't didn't expect to hear a lot of that 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I do a lot of my spiritual work in drag. Okay. That and and you 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 mentioned that you are yourself um, doing drag. Well, not presently, I guess, but you you are a, a, a drag queen. Is that accurate? Yeah, I started doing drag about a little over when I not long after I moved to San Francisco. There's a sober community here. Okay. Uh, and we do a drag we do a drag show every month to raise money for the Castro Country Club, which is okay. like a coffee shop in the Castro where about sixty. 12-step meetings happen a week. Okay. So it's all a bunch of sober queens, and we do a sober drag show, and we raise money for the club. And so it's also a really great time for us to, like, you know, usually drag world. It's in bars and clubs, and sure. it's night people, and there's lots of – so it's kind of a safe environment in which to kind of explore or to – for some people go back to doing drag who had done it before but had to get away from the drugs and stuff. Sure. Or, That's – that's terrific. I uh, I guess that kind of answers the the next item that I I try and ask everyone is you know what do you, what are you doing on a regular basis today for your your recovery and for your sobriety? Well, yeah. So, um, my ten year of sobriety was also mm -hmm. my worst year. Oh, um, okay. But I started Al-Anon, um, so that's been really helpful for me. Sure. Um, growing up with my father, and sure. um. That's just been really helpful. I think I reached a point in my life where a lot of my uh, struggles, like I don't worry too much about drinking, drugging today, mm -hmm. but I do have a hard time living with people. <laughs> people and, in general uh, or people who, who are using? Just in relationship. Oh, okay. Like okay. just with people, like I have these sure. weird sort of like relationship dynamics and the people I choose to hang out with, even if they're not drinking or using or the jobs I choose to take or the position. I don't know. There's a part of me that still is living like I'm in that trailer back in Idaho. And that's, and, the, and it's not a judgment call. It's just like, I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Like I live out of space of, of scarcity or fear, or I'm, I'm like, I don't know, white, poor white trash. You know, like, <laughs> okay. That's just like horrible. Like, and I've, I like, I've, in a lot of ways, I've lot, I've let go of a lot of that, but there are still some things in my life that I, there, there's this like lack of worthiness or enoughness yeah. that's keeping me from being in the places that, in which I could feel more happy, joyous, and free. And, sure. Do you, um, do you, so Al-Anon is really helping me with that. Sure. Do you, do you do other like outside counseling of any kind? Yeah, so I do, I do therapy twice a week right now, sure. and um, I I see my sponsor. I just, I see my sponsor once a week, and I have a sponsee that I work with sure. once a week. I I go usually to a couple of Al Anon meetings a week, and then a couple of recovery meetings a week, and then I have service positions, and I I you know I, I do drag for the recovery community sure. and um, get involved with conferences and stuff. So it's still. Um, it's still foundationally a part of my life, but I also do so much outside of it too. Sure. Um, that it's definitely a launching pad. It's a, like a, it's just a foundation for me. It's something I can land into and everything else is built upon it for right. sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's remarkable. That's more than, that's more than anybody I know. So that's awesome. I'm really sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, 
remarkable. And, and, and you know, I, I, how, are, how are you, you said your 10 year was your hardest year. How are you doing today? Great. I'm, I'm doing much better. Um, I, yeah, I'm doing much better. I'll have 12 years in May. Mm-hmm. I know no fronts, but it's just around the corner. <laughs> sure. And, um, I've been doing, because I've been doing a lot of therapy and a lot of work, I feel like I'm on the cusp of like a new experience in life again. I'm, I'm getting ready to do another Dragon Spirituality series and sure. I host RuPaul's, I don't know, there's just a lot of different activities that are coming up that I think are going to build, I don't know, that's I don't good. know. It's just, who that's knows good, you, just, the, you feel positive. Totally, I mean, that's one thing about like, program is like I I've learned not to like limit the possibility of my life because I feel like if I just decide what I want in my life like I will feel discontent with it but if I work (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) like in alignment with the higher power yeah and like being sober it's like so much better than I could have ever thought of um and so it's like who knows like I'm who would have thought I'd live in San Francisco? Who would have thought I'd been a drag queen or lived in Chicago or sure. Well, and, and your HIV, uh, does, I don't know. I don't know. I know not even a thing. I've been living with HIV now, like more longer with it than without it. That's right. It's been 21 years now, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's, and it's, it's just crazy. Um, and I'm, I'm probably not going to die from it, you know, like, cause yeah, you probably get just hit by a car in San Francisco. Every everything, right? Everything's just um, different today than it was before. God damn, that's beautiful. Wow, um, that's I, I. I'm really, really glad you you agreed to talk to me, Dwayne. That that was. Uh, I, I keep saying beautiful because I'm I'm. <laughs> stymied I, I i i really appreciate you sharing all that with me and uh i don't know do you have anything else that you wanted to add before we, we, we wrap up here um i know it's part of, it's like it's like when you ever share and you're like what did i did i say anything that was worth like did i even, did I even talk about recovery like, <laughs> well no like i wanted to hear moments. i wanted to hear you know the experience i mean i wanted to hear your experiences as you know i, I didn't realize it was yeah. so rural but i mean a, or, or a small town but you know, I mean, yeah. I I was hoping to get some perspective or or you know uh, input or um, a view on you know what it would be what it was like to be growing up in Idaho, gay, and in, yeah. in recovery. You know, trying to get into recovery but still struggling with that. And you know, you yeah, gave me much I more, mean, even more than that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's it all feels so long, long ago in some ways. And, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I believe that I'm gradually becoming the person I always thought I was. Yeah. I, I think that's called integrity. Sure. Like I'm a lot more likely to do what I say I'm going to do and do the things I say I'm doing. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, like I fall, a little less short, I guess, than that I used to, and I have an awareness about it, and I can respond to it and do something about it. Um, doesn't mean I don't do every that I'm not doing everything 
that I'm doing everything correct. Yeah, like the um, not that you don't make mistakes, but that you recover from totally, faster. But I'm progressing. <laughs> There's still some of the same shit that I do, <laughs> but sure. you know, eventually, you know, God with God's help, I will, you know, that will go away too. You know, sure. some of our quote unquote character defects, as they call them. Sure. I like the idea of afflictions better. Oh, okay. But like that, you know, like because the 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 prayer is just remove like those that get in the way of my usefulness to like to you and my like to me and my fellows right like like sometimes they're still useful and like with god's or higher powers help or programs help sure we can kind of discern when that is or not whereas before it was just our for me it was just the solution to everything sure um whereas sometimes i still have to fall into that i guess character defect if you will um I don't know. I guess sometimes they still, they must serve me for some reason. <laughs> Cause you, um, you, you, they're, they're not gone. <laughs> some of them. I know it's like, really? It's like, come on girl. Stop. <laughs> but well, okay. I, let's wrap it up. I, I really appreciate you talking, taking the time to talk to me, Dwayne. And, uh, I, uh, I hope, yeah, I hope it, was something no it's gonna be beautiful i it's i'm gonna keep i'm gonna just call the whole episode beautiful that's what it's gonna be called beautiful Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks man yeah for sure this has been the fun and sobriety podcast thank you so much for listening if you'd like to find out more about Dwayne, you can follow her on instagram at sparkles sparkle is as sparkle does all one word on instagram and if you want to find out more about her work on the allies link for the prevention of hiv and aids the nonprofit here in boise you can find out more at www.alphaidaho.org one word alpha idaho a-l-p-h-a idaho <clears throat> and or more information about where they're currently working at the, uh, or some of their time, spending some of their time working, I guess, uh, anal, at the Anal HPV Healthy Aging Study, uh, again, at www.ahhastudy.org, <clears throat> is where you can find out more about that work as well. And I, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation, conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Dwayne. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, if you have comments or, or just questions, you can find me on Facebook or you can reach out to me at the contact us link at the ease-drop podcast network. And as I say always, life is long, but it's also short. We only get one way, one time through it, one way directly to death. And, uh, you know, my heart reaches, my heart goes out to any of you out there who are struggling with recovery or trying to find recovery, or if you know anyone going through that struggle. I mean, it's it's a tough, tough row, but you're not alone. And, uh, you know, I, I love each and every one of you. And, uh, thanks again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Drop.